Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Spiritually Shitty, where we have organic conversations about spirituality. Today, I have a very special treat because I had two people scheduled to come and, you know, things happen, things get rearranged, so we rescheduled those two people and we're going to be talking about some of my spiritual experiences and the host is going to be the one, the only, my husband, Josh. Basically, I'm the third option. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> the third option. <laughs> Not the second, but the third. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll just kick it off. You start, babe. You're going to be the host, and and you run this shit any way you want to. Sweet. So, <clears throat> first off, I'm curious to know, like, what was your... Uh, what was basically your child like, child life like? My child life? Child life. <laughs> oh, well, childhood was just like everything else in, in my life. It, it was like there was a duality of really good shit going on and, and some really not so good shit going on. I was a pretty wild child. I grew up um, as the last generation that probably really played outside. And so I spent a lot of time doing a lot of fun shit outside. And my family had horses and we lived in a small town. And so I got to just kind of do whatever I wanted. My parents were, I had my mother and my father and they divorced when I was one years old. And from there, my mom was in a relationship with Joe. Joe was my stepdad and, um, you know, raised me alongside with my mom and my dad. You know, my dad had me every other weekend and holidays. And then I lived full time with my mom and Joe. And Joe also had uh, Luke, Jakey. Luke and Jakey were his children. And then he also had, there was Lauren. And Lauren is is my brother Luke, it's his his mom's daughter, and she lived in the same town and was always around us too. So she was very much a part of me growing up as well. And then I had my older, older sister, Kara, by my mom. And so we were like a mixed family, and you know, my mom and Joe both struggled with their own, you know, shit like we do. Like Joe was a functional alcoholic all of his life pretty much, and my mom was, struggling with addiction a lot of the time and she also probably had some mental health stuff going on I mean she never was like officially diagnosed with any major mental health stuff that I know of but she definitely displayed you know like the she was the result of growing up in trauma as well like she had I don't know what exactly happened in her life, but I know she had traumatic experiences in childhood and as a teenager that definitely changed um, who she was and that that carried, you know, through down to to me and my sister, just like trauma does. You know, it, it just passes from generation to generation, really unintentionally parents pass that stuff on and. And even now it's like we're learning we're learning so much more with like epigenetics and science about how trauma is actually literally passed through in DNA. Right. Um, so, I mean, I had some pretty traumatic experiences growing up. Like my my mom was really not well. Um, she was not able to to really she was able to meet my basic needs, but she was not able to meet my emotional 
and spiritual needs. And I was never introduced to anything really spiritual other than the Mormon church was, you know, predominant where I was living, obviously Utah. And my, my family didn't go to church, like the neighbors went to church. And so I would go to church with the neighbors because the Just neighbors, by yourself. yeah, like I would go play at the neighbors all the time and, and I would go play at the neighbors because they didn't really have any kids my age. Their kids were older. They were like my siblings age. They were all like teenagers at this point. But the, the woman that lived next door, her name was Verda. And Verda was, um, she was like a typical Mormon mom. She was like always in the kitchen, cooking, baking. She was like teaching her kids how to play piano, like going to Sunday school, doing all the things that, you know, religious families do. And so I would go over and I would, I would, um, damn, I forgot about Verda. Good old Verda. I literally forgot about Verda until it just started coming out of my mouth. But this woman, you know, she, I'm sure she just saw a child that was not getting enough attention. And she was like, you know, I got time and attention. I'm, and so Come she, over here. yeah, she taught me how to make cookies and, and her older children would like try to teach me to play piano. And eventually it turned into like, I was getting lessons from the missionaries and when it came time for me and I would go to church too. Like I would go to church with them and it was like excruciating for me to sit through the sacrament, which is like the main service. It was just like, (laughs) but Verda's husband, Jim, um, would always give me like little Altoids and like gum and like try to keep me a little distracted. Um, but I'd be just sitting there like my legs shaking the entire time because I just could not sit still. And, um, I really wanted to play and like, go to what was called primary and primary was like the kids classes after the main sacrament the kids go to primary and then the women go to like the women's group or the men's whatever so i'd go to primary and and we would like sing and and have a good time you know i thought it was fun um i didn't understand anything that was going on of course and when it was time for me to get baptized because i had done all the lessons with the missionary um my mom did not want to sign to give permission. She wouldn't. And I'm so glad that she didn't. You know, I'm so <laughs> glad she didn't. If there was one thing that woman did right for me, it was to not let me get baptized into the church. And that's nothing against anyone that's baptized into the church or any church. I just, I think it would have set me on a completely different trajectory. Right. And I'm so grateful that she didn't. And, um, I don't know if like it was right after that or later on, but eventually I made my way. I found my way to like a Christian fellowship church. I think I had a friend. In the same hometown. Same hometown. I And it was like the only, one of the only other churches. And it was just like a little, like, you know, it was, it was just like a small little Christian church. And I think I went with a friend the first time and it was called the River of Life. And at the River of Life, they did a lot of the same things, but it was way more fun. Like the main, the main meeting on Sunday was like they were playing guitars and they were up there jamming out. And I thought that was so awesome. And then we would go off with the other kids and, and we got to play like games and stuff. And it felt a lot more carefree. Um, and I didn't have to dress up. That was another thing is like when I would go to the Mormon church, like I would have to find a dress to wear and I just didn't have that many dresses. I'm curious to know. So, so obviously this is in Utah. So prim- primarily Mormons. How did the other Mormons kind of view Christianity? I think that they kind of, 
the general attitude was kind of just like the people that went to church together and were involved in the Mormon church were all clicked up and friends and the families hung out together. And then the people that weren't, they, you know, they hung out together. Yeah, because it's kind of like the reverse. The Christians were the outcast. Yeah, well, Mormons are Christian. I mean, they are. It is a Christian religion, right, technically. Right. Um, it's kind of like a spinoff. Right. <laughs> it has. They have their own, the Book stories. of Mormon, which are additional stories that they believe were sh- either from the Bible or should have been in the Bible or something. I mean, I don't want to speak a lot to that because I don't actually know factual a lot of factual information. But from what I observed, you know, like like no one was ever mean to me for going to that church. It was just this kind of subtle like you're not one of us attitude that I picked up on. Like the energy around kids at school. Like I even had a couple kids at school that that were like, you're not Mormon. Like, why aren't you Mormon? And you're not LDS. You're not going to go to heaven and shit like that. Little bastards. Little bastards, you know. And um, I get it. They were just being taught whatever. And But as a child, you know, like I was struggling with, you know, domestic violence going on in the home between my mom and Joe, you know. Like, you know, my mom was an angry drunk and um, Joe was reactive to that. And it, it, you know, my siblings fought each other and my parents, you know, hit on my siblings every once in a while if they were doing something they thought they shouldn't. You know, it wasn't like we were getting beatings, but... But there was a lot of domestic violence going on. Like it wasn't abnormal to get slapped in the face. Um, I didn't get slapped in the face a lot because I was the baby. You know, I was really kind of almost like it was almost like I was kind of forgotten about, like <laughs> in all the ways. Right. Because everyone was so much older, all the siblings. And yeah, but childhood, you know childhood wasn't all bad like like it was mostly good you know because a lot of it I didn't know what was going on with my parents like I didn't know how the the trauma would affect me later because I was just a kid you know just being a kid and so what was like the interactions like between you and your siblings while this trauma is going on like did you guys form kind of a bond through that or did you guys not really I mean no I mean it was like because obviously they're experiencing the same level of trauma but it's different from every lens right Right, like one family right especially in extreme cases like more extreme than what I went through there can be two siblings that experience it completely differently based off of like their birth order. So like my oldest sister, Kara, she was very much trying to take care of like me. And then she got pregnant really young and had her kids young. And so she was trying to like take care of everybody and everything. But she also had a lot of partying going on. So she was doing a lot of like dismissing what is what was going on at home by going out and partying with friends and then we had Jakey and Jakey was like the middle child and what was different about Jakey was that Jakey was raised by her mom in Albuquerque until she was like 11 or 12 years old and her mom passed away from cirrhosis Mm. and you know from alcoholism and she was young like her mom was not old enough to die you know to die and so Jakey came and she would come visit in the summers but she came to live with us full time and when that happened like I remember her like me and Jakey were always pretty much the closest like she she took more of an interest in in me especially when she was younger and then when she was a teenager you know she would take me around with her a lot like it seemed like she was the one that was more aware that I you know was being neglected um, and then Luke was, and Jakey was always also the, I call her my normal sister because she's the one that was like more like, she just wasn't as prone to 
the bad behaviors and like addiction and breaking the law and and all of the stuff. And then my brother, Luke, he was the closest to me in age. Um, And we were close when we were young. You know, we grew up together. So we were really close. And and he's probably most the reason I'm like a tomboy because he was like my closest like role model. But he... He, he had, you know, he had a bunch of friends and like he was always running around and and his mom called them the hooligans, you know, you hooligans. And they they would run around together and I always just wanted to be a part of. And that was another part of my childhood where I felt left out and didn't feel like a part of or included was because I would like try to go hang out with them or play with them. But I was too young, you know, and they would like ditch me. Like, they'd be like, yeah, you can come with us. And then they'd like ditch me on their bikes or, you know, like one of them threw me in a trash can one time at the movies. And like, they were just boys, you know, they were mean. They were always mean to me until I got older and super hot. And then they were like, (laughs) wait, wait, wait a second. (laughs) Until I got, got older, right? But no, but Luke was always cool to me. And, um... You know, he, yeah, he had a lot of his own issues. You know, he started going to prison and getting in a lot of trouble pretty, pretty early on. And, and yeah, so, so that was like, you know, life at home was like a typical, a typical day would be like, I'd wake up and if I had slept because I didn't sleep a lot. Um, I had a lot of anxiety, um, around a lot of things because my mom had had a massive brain injury when I was like four or five years old and she had to be rehabilitated and learn how to walk and talk again and that like really like it changed well it changed me because I had a lot of fear and so she would be like in bed like she'd be like up for days and like doing all kinds of shit and then she'd be in bed for days and so when she was like in bed I didn't want to go to school and no one in my family was correlating me like playing sick or not going to school and her also being in bed sick right and um Part of that was because I wanted to stay to like protect her, and part of it was because I was afraid she was going to leave because she had had disappeared on me when she got her brain injury, and um, and she also you know was you started using and running drugs for the cartel, and and so she would be she would leave you know and be gone for sometimes weeks you know sometimes longer. Eventually, it got longer and longer until she finally ended up in prison. But as a child. You know, now looking back at it with like the, my background and what I do for work and what I've learned is like I was um, I was just in fight or flight and I was I was terrified of being left by my mom because she had in fact abandoned me multiple times and I didn't have any stable adult besides my dad, you know, and my dad would pick me up every other weekend and we would go you know, to the next, he lived in the next town over, which was like a much bigger town, still a small town, but much bigger. And he would like, you know, spoil me and take me to the park and spend all his time with me every minute of the day that I was there. And, you know, I'd sit on his lap and he'd read me books and like, like he spent time with me. Right. And then I'd go back to my mom and Joe's and like nobody spent time with me. And so I dived into academics and sports because that was how I thought I would be able to be seen and heard. You know, I was never seen and really heard. Like, I was there, um, and I'm sure I was annoying when I was in my annoying phase. I remember being the annoying child as the baby, but I was never really fully seen and heard. Like, no one ever really... 
I don't remember ever any ever anyone ever really spending time with me um, besides Jakey and and a couple times Kara too. Kara had some brief phases where she was trying to like take care of me too, and so so like during that time growing up, you know, I I knew there was a God because people had talked about God at church, um, but I didn't feel like I felt more connected to nature. Right. Like I didn't. And I wasn't like consciously aware of it, but I would ride my bike around or when I was on a horse riding around, like I would be so happy and free and like singing and just like, like I would ride my bike around at night, late at night. Nobody would even know I wasn't home and it's after dark and I'm riding my bike around just like, you know, singing at the top of my lungs under the full moon. And like looking back at that, I'm like, I was connecting with nature. Yes. You know? Yeah, which a lot of people will probably relate to either if they go to a service or something like that. You know, you were just feeling it in a different limelight, you know? And the music, you know, I loved the music at church. Like, I mean, not so much at the Mormon church, but at at the Christian church that I went to and other ones I went to down the line, like, I loved, you know, if if I loved anything about it, it was the worship music. It was like, and it was always like similar stuff like like at the rock church, you know? It was like Christian rock stuff. So I really connect through nature and music um and and I didn't know you know like obviously growing up and having and being you know neglected and having these like emotional needs that aren't being met I just I had no idea right because there was no examples in my life of what it looked like unless I went to a friend's house and like saw their parents with them or like something like that there I didn't have any like real life examples of right. good communication and being seen and heard and like all of those things it just wasn't even a thing like, and, like now we know for child development that is such a crucial aspect of it you know in order to create a child that is like feels all that inside you know Right. It, it's so important for for children to be seen and heard and to let them have their feelings. And, you know, I remember a big part of my childhood was me crying and my family saying, stop crying, Brianna. Why are you crying, Brianna? Or they'd like go, oh, you're going to cry. And they would like make fun of me. And I was a very sensitive child. Yeah, that'd be detrimental to I was a sensitive child. And I know they didn't mean any harm, you know. And I did cry a lot. But I also wasn't getting my needs met, you know. And I was like, like, I was also experiencing what I believe later turned into, you know, my bipolar diagnosis and my, my sensitivity, whatever you call it. I'm not too big on labels and diagnoses, but really the fact of the matter is, is I've always been sensitive and I would cry over shit like my oatmeal not being heated up the right way. Right. Like if Joe heated up my oat my oatmeal and it didn't turn out the right way, I would like cry like and freak out. Like I just had, I was so sensitive to stuff. And you know, maybe it's a little bit of neurodivergence. Maybe it's, you know, a little bit of the, the bipolar or whatever it was as a child, but I really do think that it was just, you know, I had parents that were not able to be completely in tune with me and what was going on and meet those needs because they had not had their own needs met as children. And they were just, you know, they were doing what they knew how to do right at the time. So fast forward to, um, to later in life, what was like your first spiritual experience of your own without any regard to religion? <laughs> um, 
This is so funny. This is kind of a funny story. So I didn't know it was a spiritual experience when it was happening, but when I was about 10 or 11, 12, maybe 13 years, no, I was probably like 10, 10, nine or 10. We went out to the lake. I grew up on Lake Powell. My family had a boat. We spent many of our weekends at the lake, just like people here go out to the desert. And, uh, we were at the lake and I got to bring a friend with me this time and her name was Kelsey Yoho and she came to the Yo-ho. lake Yoho she came out to the lake with me and we were just having a good old time and when everybody passed out we decided that we I mean I don't know if we decided or if our my parents were just so drunk that they didn't make sleeping arrangements for us but we decided that instead of sleeping in the suburban we were going to sleep on the ground like under the stars. And before we did that, we were um, like daring each other to do stuff. And we decided we wanted, like I dared her, we dared each other to go skinny dipping. Like, cause it was completely dark and we were, the boat was parked in this alcove, um, like at Lone Rock Beach. It was like the very end of Lone Rock Beach with this like alcove. There was no one, really no one around and everyone was asleep. And so we were like jumping off the boat into the lake, butt ass naked, like singing, um, alive by POD. Okay. Because this is like the two thousands and POD was the shit. And, um, I just remember feeling so freaking free. Like we felt so free. And then we went and laid down under the stars. And as we laid down, a meteor shower started. And to this day, it is still the like best meteor shower I remember ever seeing in my life. And at the time, we didn't even know what a meteor shower was, right? We're just like shooting star, shooting star, shooting star. And it was like so many. And it was probably like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And we were just like under all of these shooting stars. And it was just like all you could see was the sky. And it was so beautiful. And it was just me and her that got to experience it. So right. if she ever listens to this, hey, send me a message. <laughs> let's let's reconnect. She still lives in Canab, I think, or St. George. Um, but yeah, that was one of those times, you know. And, and another thing was is like my dad, you know, his he him and his brothers had property up on this mountain called Kolob. It's up behind Zion National Park, like outside of the national park beautiful mountain it has a lake and we had property up towards the top and my dad would let me go ride the four-wheeler like we'd go up there and camp all the time and he'd let me take the four-wheeler and he'd be like don't take it out of second gear and of course I'd like mob around in fourth gear and I would go up the hills and there was all these wild wildflowers and butterflies all over on the sides of these dirt little tiny dirt mountain roads like it was so beautiful I was so blessed to be able to grow up on co-op it was it was heaven yeah and still is it still is and uh, my dad doesn't have that property anymore but it's it's a cousin that has it so that's the one we went up to yeah we yeah we went up to the lake one time um but you can go farther up and um it's just I don't know. The mountains, I love the ocean. I love the desert, but the mountains are like my heart and soul. Like we will have something in Colorado or Utah someday. Yeah. Colorado (laughs) is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. But yeah, so spiritual experience for me, it's like I was always talking to myself when I'd be riding the four-wheeler around or whatever. Like I always had a dialogue going on with myself, but like out of myself. Um, And now I know it's like I was really connecting with nature or at like a higher power. Um, And, you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of why I, I felt, you know, like. I feel like I was protected in a lot of ways as a child because 
all of the the trauma I did experience and the things I did go through super valid right but like it could have been so much worse and so much more horrific shit could have happened and it didn't like I've been in so many situations especially in my addiction and I'm like I cannot believe that I was not like completely just victimized and traumatized in those situations and I feel like something even though I'm not necessarily into a god that like is like a person right that plans for us and looks out for us I do think something has protected my energy like my energy has been protected right um but I went through a lot you know I, I did go through a lot and I had a really some really dark some really dark times right too so during those dark times did you ever still feel the connection or did that kind of just blank out um, your addiction I tend like I tend to lose my connection to my innermost self my higher being other people um when I'm in a dark spot and that's that's was when I was using and even when I wasn't using but I was just in like a very depressive state I get very dark like I lose all contact and it's really like I will stay in bed um, or I used to stay in bed or just be using drugs and um, not doing anything to to connect with a, a God or a higher power or a good energy or any of that, whatever you want to call it. And something that's so critical is like if I'm ever depressed again, like if God forbid I have a depression again and I can't like get out of bed get me to nature you know get <laughs> me like pick me up and take me to the beach or pick like literally put me in the car and drive me to a mountain because if i'm st- if i stay inside the longer i'm inside in my bed in my head the darker and darker it gets you know right and for me it's like i had a dark night of the soul like i did have a you know i went through an extremely dark period of of my life um shortly after I experienced my first like manic quote unquote episode, which was really just uh, an eye opening, awakening experience that happened for me, which when I have, I'm gonna have Josh Roberts come on this show and he's so rad at, at explaining psychosis and bipolar in the a spiritual mania. way. Yeah, He talks about it because it is a spiritual experience. Yeah. So, it, you know, I, I went through my addiction, you know, younger. I went through program. I did jails, like youth facilities and stuff like that. And whenever I was locked up or in a facility, I would pray. I would pray every single day. Like a foxhole prayer? Kind of like like... a foxhole prayer, but I would try to pray. And, you know, there was even a point where I surrendered my life to Jesus and, like, took Christ as my Lord and Savior and started going to church again after I was, after I experienced that mania because I was just looking for anything to fucking help me. And little did I know that like everything that I needed was already inside of me. It was already inside of me. Yeah. So. And it's you. So. So obviously you went through that dark period of your life. When, after all that kind of washed over, you started to begin the reconnection and what did that look like? So the reconnection for me, so while I was, while I was manic, I felt like it's hard to explain this to other people that haven't experienced like a true mania or a real like psychosis because it's really just, it doesn't make any logical sense. But when I was, I I started going manic and um, I started getting agitated and like 
talking really loud, talking really fast, playing music really loud, getting agitated and trying to fight people at parties that I was going to. And granted, I had just went through a really traumatic relationship. My first like long-term real boyfriend and it was super, it really fucked me up. And I think that that was kind of the triggering thing. That was like the stressor that brought out. And I do have the pre, you know, I have the genetic predisposition for bipolar one because I have, I have a second, I have a cousin who passed away and had it. And I have a second cousin on his, like, with from his sister that just got diagnosed a couple years ago but um I didn't know at the time right nobody talked about mental illness especially not in my family so when I started to go manic like I thought like everyone just thought I was losing my mind and and everyone in my family thought I was just like that I had just switched from like heroin to meth or something right because I was just like so erratic and and it was wild okay and it 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 came on it kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger to the point of like me being in psychosis and and when that was going on like i could see auras around people like if i was sitting and talking to you like i could literally feel and see an aura it was insane okay it sounds insane and i could feel everything like i could feel everything if i was standing next to you waiting the waiting to cross the street and you were in pain over something, I could feel it. And I was recognizing that all of the stuff I was feeling was not mine. Like I could tell that I was picking up on other people's energy. Right. And I was very delusional. So I kept trying to do stuff like I tried to go into a bank and take out a business loan because I was going to start a business that was going to like save people and save the world. And they didn't even give it to you? No, they didn't even give it to me. And then I tried to go, you know, I'd go to like a restaurant and order a bunch of food and, and then like eat it and then like have no way to pay for it. But I felt so rich inside that I felt like I was rich. So I was like... Like, I'll just give you, like, Here's my good energy. Clip. Like, it was like, it was like I felt like I didn't need to pay for anything. Right. Not in a sense of, like, trying to steal it or be entitled, but I felt like, um, I just felt so rich and abundant, right. even though I literally half the time had no fucking shoes on. Right. And I kept meeting, like, these strange people, and I would, and I kept doing these strange things. Like, I, I went into a... I went into a CVS like I had gone to the hospital in Las Vegas and they just released me and when they released me I was walking around I knew how to a little bit about Vegas and so I went to the I went to this uh, I went to the strip I was taking the bus up the strip with the intention of going to my cousin's house I have hospital socks on right beautiful and like I stopped at this Wells Fargo bank because I was like maybe I have some money in there no idea why I thought this, Kay. I have no money. I have no job. <laughs> I have nothing. I go in there. Somehow they don't notice I don't have any shoes on. I looked presentable other than not having shoes on. Like I wasn't like, I didn't look like super crazy. Mm-hmm. And I asked them if I had any accounts there and gave them my name. And I had no ID. And back then, you know, they were like less strict, I guess, because they were just like, oh, yeah, like you have an account here and it's a CD. A CD is an account. It's like an account my grandparents had put a little bit of money in back in the day and it accumulated some money. And it was for $800. Ooh, I need that. They told me I had to open a checking account and then I could get $200 of it. I don't even know how I did this because I don't remember having an ID. But at the same time, like, I was so delusional. Who knows? Maybe I had my ID on me. Right. But I opened the account. They gave me $200 of the money, which, like, in Utah, when you're 18, you're your family would have to sign that CD over to you 
but in Nevada, once you're 18, it just goes into your, you you can just have it. So I went to the Walgreens next door and I just bought $200 worth of bullshit. Like I bought a burner phone for myself and then I just bought a bunch of like random shit in CVS and I went outside and and I was definitely on like some Jesus shit, right? Like I was on some Jesus energy of like wanting to just like be of service and give all my stuff away. And so I, I realized like I needed some scissors to open this burner phone, okay? Cause that plastic is dangerous. And <laughs> I asked this guy that was selling CDs, I was like, hey, like w- watch my cart. I'm gonna go back inside. And I told myself if nobody steals anything from my cart, I'm gonna give everything away. Right. Like I was on that type of shit. And so I went in there, got the phone open, came back out. No one stole anything. I proceeded to give everything I had bought away, including the prescription for Xanax that the hospital had given me because apparently they thought I needed to calm down like a manic Oprah. Yeah, and I um, I was like, you get a sandwich, and you get a Las Vegas, Las Vegas, Las Vegas bag, and you, you know, like, it was, yeah. but everyone that was coming day. up to me was like, they needed stuff, yeah. and, and even, like, this really gnarly-looking heroin addict lady that had, like, super short hair and just looked, like, straight, like, she was from the fucking river bottom, came up to me and was like you know, hey, like, do you have anything or whatever? And I gave her the Xanax and I sat there and I talked with her and I saw the person underneath the physical body. Right. And I started to be, be able to do that a lot. It was like, if I was talking to someone, I wouldn't even see the physical characteristics. It was like, I could see their soul. I was like connecting with the true, the most truest of them. It was so crazy. Okay, and like I lived manic like that for like a while. It was like a month or maybe two months. I was going in and out of like jails and hospitals and all this shit. And the whole time I was just like, I just want to love everybody and like whatever. It was very spiritual. And I kept trying to travel the dimensions because I thought there there are seven. Like I thought I was traveling the seven dimensions and that the seventh dimension would be like full enlightenment, like heaven. Right. And I never got there. You know, I ended up getting incarcerated for long enough that I had to take med- medication. Yeah, that puts a damper on it. But I'll never forget that what I experienced, right? And it changed me forever. It changed the way I empathize with other human beings forever. And I've only met a few people that can talk about their like mania or psychosis and stuff like that. Right. That it did that to them. Right. Some people it, it fucks them up and it it makes it sends them spiraling. So. Let's take a break right now. Okay. And then we'll we'll come right back. Okay. And we're back. They probably didn't even hear much of a pause. Yeah. So we just had some people come over to look at our apartment to see if they want to sublease it. And it was very interesting because we started talking to them. And I find this a lot with people that I don't know is um, they'll start like sharing stuff with me that like isn't really like normal conversation. It's not small talk. And they started sharing with us about their um, daughter's best friend having bipolar disorder and a manic episode. And this was like without prompting. They were just talking about some of their struggles. And it's it's just wild to me how how we attract in we're attracting all the time we're we attracted that in we attracted that conversation and as soon as she said bipolar i was like bam you know yeah it was very you know and that but that's how things are for me a lot of the time like the conversations happening 
what's going on, what I'm seeing when I'm driving, like music. It's like I can feel this harmonious connection between everything. It's wild. Yeah. So anyways. So anyways. Where were we? We were talking about auras. You were feeling people's auras. Oh, that's what you got from that whole story? No, I got more. Well, I just started related to it because I, I when I was taking a lot of psychedelics, I had that very similar experience without like the mania you know like something had triggered that in my mind where i would like look at these people and i would feel like i saw right through them you know and like i would get in these deep and i'm talking about people that are not on acid as well like you know so i start having these deep conversations with them and like i just i just felt it so much you know so there is i just have my view on it is like you can look like somewhere you can unlock this part of your your brain waves or you it's the third eye or you tap into this energy where like once you cross that threshold you know like you start experiencing all these different interactions with people you know and like it's not truly the higher self that starts coming about and for me psychedelics is what brought that about but unfortunately like i still have that addiction that addictive mind state where i just had to take it to the next level as far as like taking acid fucking four or five times a week you know and like i never for a good two years i never stopped you know and then it started to turn into a dark thing you know and i started mixing it with other drugs and it really kind of ruined why i had started it in the first place you know and on like a deeper energetic level like i was just mainly searching out to feel a part of you know like of course like i had all these experiences with it and like i felt all these different things but me as a person like i wasn't doing it I didn't have the right intentions at the end, you know, so it turned pretty dark and not yeah. a good outcome. You were also smoking meth. A little bit. A little <laughs> bit. I was smoking a little I mean, meth. doing acid is uh, completely different, I believe, than, you know. Well, that's what I, you because know. Because meth is getting into the neurons and destroying cells. In, like, it literally destroys the nucleus um, in the brain, in your tiny little cells. It's the only drug that infiltrates all the way in and just destroys the cell. Right. Whereas acid, they don't even understand the mechanism of action. <clears throat> for acid they don't even understand it still they know that it's helping things that's why they've started to use you know they're they're starting to get more open in america to allowing these like testing clinical trials and stuff to go on for these like not just acid but like mushrooms mostly and mdma and you know it's because those things work differently in the brain and they figured out that they can use them for good and i've never done acid but i understand um what it's like from other people's experience and i can imagine it, it is very similar to a mania without maybe some of the symptoms of mania but that third eye gets opened you know and what's really weird is right before I went manic I had taken a kundalini yoga class at college because at that time I was in school trying to go to school and not really doing that well at it because I was also you know smoking weed and just was not really motivated for school but I took this kundalini yoga class and it had a lot of chanting and a lot of breathing and I don't think it's a coincidence. Like, I don't believe in coincidence, and I don't think it's a coincidence that I went manic just a few short weeks after that class. Tapped into that shit. 
I I opened that kundalini. I and I opened that third eye and had no idea and had been given no education on how to control it. Now I do believe I do have a brain chemical problem. The bipolar disorder is a genetic thing and it is a chemical imbalance in my brain. But I think that just makes me more open and more accessible to these things. Right. Well, and and in other cultures, you know, it from the American culture, you're seen in such different limelight than other places, you know, like out here, if someone's manic, you know, they're crazy into like the, our society, it's a bad thing, you know, in a lot of other cultures, they're actually viewed as a healer, you know, and like, and my, my belief, my own personal belief, which might be controversy is that I thought, you know, Jesus was manic, you know, like, (laughs) I really believe that, you know, like based off like the testimonies, you know, in the Bible, you know, it just seemed like he was a manic dude, you know, that was causing all these people to heal. And he was, you know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I don't believe that he was manic. Um, I think manic is a word that we created in Western society to label. Right. Right. Um, what I think and what I believe and part of my story. Right. So rewinding back a little bit to me in my mania, I end up in jail. I finally like did enough crime that they could keep me in jail. Right. To try to get me some help. Um, and while I was in there, when I first got in there, I was still very delusional. And I was like on in this experience. Right. It wasn't even delusion. It was an experience. I was connecting on a different level than everybody else, right? And I'm in segregation because every time I I get incarcerated, I'm in segregation because I'm wild and I'm loud and I like to dance and sing and and whatever. So I'm in segregation in my cell and I'm in there for like, I was in there for eight months, you know? And, And in the beginning, I was still symptomatic or whatever. I was having this experience. I don't even like to use words like symptomatic because I was having my experience and I'm sitting in my cell one day and someone slides a book under the door. Okay. And this book was called The Power of the Great Mystics. I've never found this book in any library. I've looked online. I've tried to find it everywhere I've gone. I've never found it again. It wasn't like a hardback book. It looked like one of those books that people get published on their own and they have like the bound, like not spiral bound, but like the the black line that holds it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not a good explainer, but it was just this book, right? Like a flat book. It was a book. And um, it's, it's so strange because I read it and it had, each chapter had it, it was about a different mystic. Mm. And I'm not sure if you if you know what mysticism is or if you understand. And I'm not sure anyone listening, you know, is really going to understand this. But basically, you know, we all as human beings, we have this power within us. You know, we are very extremely powerful, um, powerful energetically. And mystics, people that are very, very powerful, they can be on the range of positive or negative energy right Right. it's not good or bad but it's like there's like a light and a dark Mm -hmm. and jesus was the greatest mystic that's lived period i'm not a christian but jesus was the greatest mystic that lived and so if you're christian and you use jesus as your deity good you know good that's gonna that's gonna work for you i think you know and 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 um jesus was walking around and he didn't know he was like so powerful you know like and that's usually how it is like 
there's other mystics though, you know, like Jesus wasn't the only mystic. He wasn't the only great mystic. Right. Mother Teresa, probably a mystic. Buddha, mystic. And it's like another label, right? Like mystic is another label that we put on these things. Mm -hmm. But also Hitler. Mm. Hitler was so powerful. He got so many people to follow him. 17 million people died during that time. He was a mystic. Just use it for the bad. It was on the negative end, the dark end. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no, there is going to be no light without the dark. There's no light without the dark. We have both ends of the spectrum all the way across. But I believe that every human has the power to be a great mystic, but over the generations, the generations have been, we've been trained, we've been brainwashed, we've been taught, we've been, you know, especially like when they, you know, when the church was established way back in the day by like, like the Romans and mm-hmm. shit, like it was to control yeah. people because imagine if everybody knew how truly powerful they really could be if they learn to meditate, learn to eat the appropriate foods for what they're going through. Because depending on what's going on with you, there's certain foods you should be eating. Right. And none of us do that really, because our society doesn't allow it. And so I, I read this book, it blew my fucking mind. I wrote stuff down about it, right? And I was writing probably super fast with the little tiny pencil in jail. Mm. And all of that paper stuff that I wrote, it all got lost. It didn't like when I brought, when I got out and I came home and I had a folder with all my stuff in it from jail, it was gone. That book, weird, gone, disappeared, dude. Like, and that probably sounds crazy and weird to you guys. And, you know, I get it, but this is spiritually shitty. So, you know, we're doing like our own spiritual experiences. And, and that was one of the things that like I took from that. Um, that experience in my life, that was the most powerful thing that happened during that experience. And it changed me forever because it was like a delusion that made perfect sense, you know? And so I got medicated and I got out of jail and I I was in mental health court and I went back to normal life. And for a while it was like, I forgot. You know, I forgot how how connected we are. The other thing that I took from that experience was I started to have knowledge of like, like string theory and stuff, like without, like I had no idea where it came from. Well, I don't really know exactly what the actual string theory is if you look it up in a book, but from from my experience in my brain, what it was telling me, um, basically everything is connected. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you imagine a string or a a cord, there's a cord that goes from me to every single thing in this room. There's a cord that goes from me to that Instapot. There's a cord that goes from me to that cat water thing. And then there's a cord that goes from me to you. And there's a cord that goes from me to spirit, the dog and the cat. And the cords that go to things, these inanimate objects are not as thick. Mm -hmm. They're not as thick because it's like an inanimate object, but it's alive. At the molecular molecular level of these inanimate objects, the atoms are moving. Mm-hmm. They're vibrating. Everything has a vibration. We know this science, right? Ha. The cord between you and I 
is thick, right? It's thick. And it probably goes for eternity because really, you know, I believe that marriage is eternal. It's sacred. We're married in the afterlife. Like we we did the thing before our gods and, and spiritual shit during our wedding, right? Like right. that ties us right. together. A divorce on paper would not even be able to untie that. And really, I'm energetically tied to everyone I've ever been with. Right. And I carry the karma down, right? So back to string theory. Anyways, so the cord is super strong between you and I. It's really strong between me and the dog. But everything is connected. If there were strings between us and everything, it's all connected. And vibrationally, if you think about that for a second, if we're connected to everything, that means that everything around us affects our vibration. And our vibration affects everything around us. And and I mean, I think we do create our reality too. Like our thoughts are creating this reality, right? Mm -hmm. And and we're connected to all of these things. So I don't know. That just like blows my mind. It's it's right. Well, it makes it makes sense if you even just take the situation. Okay, you step there's you know you step into a room where the energy is very dark and there's it feels like something just happened. You know, you can sense that. You know, right? You can feel it before you you even know what's going on. Like knowing that you you know okay everyone's quiet, no one's looking at each other. You can tell that from the outside, but the feeling from it too. Yeah. And there's a reason that like I'm so connected to my dog and I can like tell what he needs or what he wants and like pick up on all of his behaviors and stuff because we're connected on a spiritual like you can't see it, Mm -hmm. but we have that connection. And me and you have that connection because we constantly have like like you'll say exactly what I'm thinking. Like I'll be thinking about tacos for dinner and come home and you're like, how about tacos for dinner? Now, am I just attracting that in or did you actually feel that through the spiritual connection? It's wild. And you could go a hundred different directions with this, you know, and this is also all objective. This is my, this is just my opinion and, right. and whatever. I don't, you know, I hope that people don't feel the need to like argue about any of this because this is all just, you know, my experience or opinion and how I, I like to like trip out on things like that. And I like right. to take it in different directions. Right. So... I get out of jail and I'm I'm on meds and the meds do help me, you know, because in this society, I do need to be able to function. If I was able to go live like in a little shack, like in Peru in the jungle or some shit like that, I wouldn't take meds. I would live my life experience the way the way that I was created to be. But I take my meds to live in society. Right. And I'm stable. And that's you know, that's rad. Yeah. Would you still get your lashes done? And I get my lashes done. Thank you for that. Yes, I get them done because being, you know, I I figured out like it, it took a while. Like when I first got on meds and I, I was doing mental health court, I was drinking a lot and I was trying to just disconnect from my body, you know, and yeah. disconnect from what was going on just like I always had with substances because trauma, like I'm reading this book right now called The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate and it's about how like trauma affects us and how our society traumatizes us and it makes us sick and the way it changes the brain and and that's what happened to me you know like I learned that like to that I could just stay out of my body and stay out of the suffering by drinking or or doing drugs and so at this time I was drinking a lot and I was trying to get back to normal 
but I wasn't taking care of myself. I was taking the meds, but I wasn't eating right. You know, I was putting toxic fucking alcohol in my body. I wasn't exercising, you know, and I was unwell. I was unwell and I kept attracting in partners that were matching that vibration. It was like a reflection, you know, and, and, and yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of times it seems like the way we treat people sometimes as adults is a reflection. It's like, we're trying to show them the way we treat each other, like how how I treat you when I'm upset is because I'm trying to make you feel how I feel. Right. You know, so that dynamic, that idea, if you imagine me, you know, where I was at at that time, like I was attracting in some really not so good partners, you know, and like treating them like shit and then vice versa. Then getting treated like shit. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, sometimes I would just like end a relationship and just move on to the next thing or whatever. I was just running around like trying to find, trying to be whole and trying to find, figure out who I was. But during that time, I had completely forgotten, like, about the spiritual parts of what had happened when I, before I went to jail and in jail and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and then I started to get glimpses, you know, like, I started to remember, like, certain times I'll remember. And then I'm like, whoa, you know, like, trip out on this, like, you know, and, and I, I want to be, I want to live in, in the power of, like, who I am and how having this, you know, diagnosis and whatever, like, it means that I am special. It should be celebrated like it is in other cultures, you know, because we are people that are bipolar that have that, that back and forth and up and down over long periods of time. They're like, we're magical because we're like, we go through dark times for a while and, and our personality changes a little bit and you experience that person. And then we go through times where things are great. Like even even on medication, I cycle. And I cycle with the seasons, go figure. Mm. It's almost like I was just supposed to be this way. Right. And, and um, you know, eventually I, I, I suffered a lot in my addiction, right? Like I could not escape the suffering because I was creating more suffering when I was I got back on drugs like heavy drug using and experience some of the darker times, you know, and, and, and being a heroin addict, like, you know, every single day that you're killing yourself, like you just know it. And, and I, I don't know. I went through a period of time where I just like stopped wanting to live and stopped wanting to get clean or wanting to get better. I stopped fantasizing about going to college or having a house or getting married or any of that shit. I just started to live at the animalistic level and just live to survive, you know? Um, And once I got clean and I got introduced to 12 step program and started to get to introduce to the higher power thing in the step work, it scared me. It terrified me because I thought that you guys were going to, I thought the 12 step program was going to push God on me. And it felt that way because they kept saying God and I had God in the step works. And then I remembered like, oh shit, dude, like you, like, remember that crazy book you read that you never could find? It talked about the word God and the word God stems from the word good, you know? And like, and like, there's no evil. Like, I don't believe that there's just like evil. I believe there's negative energy. There's definitely negative forces, but I don't, I just do not believe, I, 
I don't believe in good and evil. And the Bible has amazing stories, but they are parables. Mm. It was written so that people of the, that time could understand what was happening. If you read between the lines a little bit, there everything in there is true, but it's not true not in the sense of like, this is exactly what happened. Yes. Um, it's a powerful book, you know, but there's a lot of other powerful books as well and powerful teachers besides Jesus. And so I remained open and I just trusted and I have gone through times where I call my God, God. And I've gone through times where I can't even say the word God, even still I go back and forth and my connection started to come back. That feeling of oneness with the world and the universe started to come back after my fifth step. For those of you that aren't 12 step, you know, you work the steps on your fourth step, you write down all your resentments and your part in those resentments. And then you drop it with your sponsor, you share all that stuff. And basically you're cleaning out the fridge, you know, you're cleaning it out completely so that all you have to do is maintain it. And when I did that, if I, and then made amends to my family and other people I had hurt, it freed out my insides. And it was almost like getting all that shit out and getting that shame and guilt to, to go away because shame and guilt serve no purpose. Like if you feel ashamed and you feel guilt, it serves absolutely no purpose. There's nobody judging you for what you're doing. You're just having your human experience and feeling shame and guilt about things. It serves nothing or no one. Right. And so getting rid of that, I was able to start to feel connected again, you know, and um, being in San Diego, like, going to the ocean and it's just beautiful here. And so like that helped a lot. Yeah. Um, going home to visit and going to Zion and, and being where I'm from and, and seeing it with new glasses. Powerful for me. The first time I went back and I went to Zion and I cried like a baby because I just couldn't believe that I had missed the beauty my entire life. Right. How beautiful it is because I was constantly trying to run out of my body and get away from myself and get away from that suffering. And I, I learned in recovery that if I can feel the pain and suffering and, like, and just feel the emotions, they will go away. <laughs> you know, if I avoid them and stuff them down, they keep coming up. And once you learn how to feel pain and just feel it and let yourself cry or let yourself shake, scream, whatever it is, if you can learn how to feel pain and and then be objective towards it and just observe it and feel it, like, oh my God, it will free you. Right. Because then you're no longer going to need to escape your body and run away from that. And that's what happened to me through working steps, but also through, you know, Reiki, like energy healing and a lot of meditation and, you know, I like crystals and candles and herbs and like anything I can do to help me stay connected. And what's interesting to me is like knowing all that and, and getting that connection back and experiencing it in all of its wholeness, I've still chosen to close the door again, which is wild. Like if you feel that connection with your higher power, God, the universe, whatever you describe it as with your human words, <laughs> when you feel that connection, it's insane to turn away from it. It's insane to shut the door. 
but we do because we're humans. And sometimes we just want to get away from that pain or whatever's going on. And we, we don't trust. And that's, you know, that's how I relapsed. Oh yeah, <laughs> That's how I relapsed. And that was painful. Oh God, that was so fucking painful. I went back out there. I started smoking heroin and shooting heroin again. Oops. And I had had like three and a half years clean. And oh man, it was a dark time. Like it was so dark. And I was with a partner that was suffering immensely and could not, he could not do enough drugs or whatever to escape his suffering. And it was just a really dark time for me. I couldn't let go. I felt responsible like I needed to save him. Just like I would stay home from school when my mom was in bed because I would worry about her leaving. It was the same thing mm. with him. And Might I be connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to get into a lot of pain before I was willing to let that go. I had to go through a lot of it. But you know what? It's one of those things where I'm like, is this like a generational curse or is this like part of my karmic consequence? Like, because my mom has has been codependent her whole life too. And when I broke away from that relationship, good Lord, it was painful. Oh, it yeah. was excruciating. I bet it felt like your life was ending. It felt like my life was ending and it felt like I thought he was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I thought the pain was going to kill me. And I had a friend that said, just breathe it in. Just breathe in the pain. Breathe it in and make it as big and as bad as it is. Just breathe it in and feel it all and breathe it out. And she walked through that with me on the phone. We're going to have her on the podcast soon. She's an amazing woman. Her name's Sage. Um, But she taught me how to meditate like that. And it helped a lot. And I just grieved. I grieved. And when I left that relationship and got clean again and started the process, I grieved not only him and that relationship, but I grieved the the life that I thought I was going to have. All that. The life that we have right now, like that's what I thought we were going to have. But we were like using and codependent and neither of us were dealing with our trauma. Like it was like... Right. You know, I wanted that. Like, I wanted to have what I have right now, but there was no possible way that it was going to be with that person right. because that person was on a different path. Right. And even <laughs> if you reached that level of the, the outside things, of the marriage, of the cars, of the buying houses, you still are connected on the energetic level of all that trauma that you guys put each other through. Mm-hmm. So being able to, at some point, get over it, you know, for me, I it's it's like... We don't get over it. We yeah, move we, through. Exactly. We move through it. And I've been moving through it this whole time, you know. Our entire relationship has been a process of me moving through that grief and pain and letting go and and then learning now how to be in a healthy relationship and how to connect, right? Because when you trauma bond with somebody and you connect with them on a spiritual level through the trauma and the pain and the suffering... And then you leave that, it's like so hard. The next relationship, the healthy relationship, it really is, it's so hard to connect because that wounded me and me being human, even though I grieved and I went through the process and I've done therapy and I've done Reiki and I've done all kinds of shit. I've hand, I've meditated and handed him back his shit and cut the cord spiritually. Like I've done a lot of different things, right. but it still affects my relationship with you because the it's hard for me to open up and connect and be vulnerable again. Mm. 
that's just the brain does that to protect itself. When you are extremely wounded or traumatized, the brain will disconnect. It'll either fight or flight or freeze. You know, like I can get so close to you, but then it gets scary. And, you know, that's just part of this this process. Right. And if I'm spiritually open, you know, like after I, sh- I shut the door, you know, and I relapsed and like I felt so disconnected. And, and then when I got clean, it took like a year to feel connected again. It took forever. Like I kept doing the motions of life, but I like I would meditate even and like pray and all this stuff, but I felt nothing. Mm. Like I felt fucking no connection and it was terrifying it's hard because you know when we come in here we're looking for some immediate relief you know that's what we need is to something to make us feel better that we're not using drugs so that's when we dive into like meditation or the 12-step program to get that and that's why it's super important to get involved quickly you know so you get some relief from feeling that way so if you're going a long time without feeling that way it gets harder and harder Yeah, I mean, we want the relief, but we need to feel the pain and the feelings. Like, we need to cry. We need to be uncomfortable and feel all those emotions and and walk through it. Like, there was days where I would just get in my car and cry hysterically and drive around and listen to music. This one guy told me, this um, this was at a treatment center, you know, and there was, like, a big process group. And this dude was crying his eyes out and uh, and someone like grabbed a tissue and oh, was no. trying to bring it over to him no. and he stopped him and he was like, the, you know, the, the guy facilitating the group, he was like, let him cry. It, you know, the healing does not start until those tears hit the floor. And that stuck with me forever. Yeah, you, know? you don't want to stop like, the process. You, you know, you, you begin to, you know, even just something like that, just to interrupt it, you know, like it is good to feel those feelings, you know, for how organic they are, you know. Right. And um, I wish I could like, I wish I could get everybody that I work with, um, whether it's sponsees or just people that I kind of life coach or whatever you want to call it to understand that like the key is in feeling the feelings. And I think it's easier for me to say that because I've learned how to do it and I have that connection. So once I'd been here for a while again and that connection started to come back, oh my God, I was so grateful to feel the presence of my creator, whatever you want to call it. Like if you believe in a figure that created everything like God and whatever, then that's cool. Um, I think it's a little bit different than that. I'm more like a Big Bang Theory evolution kind of person, but I know there's a, a powerful energy that flows through everything and that in us humans, it's we have access to it. Um, and so like now, it's about me getting humble enough to allow it to work in my life. Oof. Because when I take, a lot of people say my will or God's will, like when I take my will back or when I say step off the path or when I don't go with the flow, however you say it, right? Like it's all perspective. Yeah, um, I'm good at it. When I do that and I start to try to run the show, things just, things don't go the way I want them to and I'm miserable because I'm not like, I'm not getting what I want. It's not going how I want it to. I'm holding on to these expectations and these ideas of how things should be. You know, they say, stop shooting on yourself. Mm. Stop saying what should be. 
Um, and that's Actually, hard. I heard that. I like that. That that can so. be difficult, you know, like especially I come from an environment where like it was really pretty negative, you know, like Joe was a pretty happy dude and pretty positive and my dad was, but my mom was very was a complainer, you know. And oh, yeah. and even when I go around her, when I remember when I first met your mom, I was like, "Holy shit," you know. Yeah, you know, and and it's easy to get that way. It's easy to be negative, you know. I found myself doing it too, where, you know, especially when I was first coming around, you know, that just everything was bad. Well, and our temperament is, is hereditary. Like the temperament you have as a person, Yeah, it's hereditary, you know? And I do, I really think like I have my mom's like anxiety mm-hmm. and control issues and co- like the codependency stems from control, like wanting control. Like, I want to control it so you don't leave me type of thing. And, like, I get so much of my stuff from her. So it's like, how do I heal that? You know, how do I? And that's been the journey this entire time is healing the mommy wound, you know. And and me and my mom have a relationship today. And, like, we've, you know, we were out there running amok at the same time. And we've crossed paths in addiction, you know. Like, I've used with her. Mm -hmm. But. She's always been down for me. My mom's always been down for me. Even yeah. though she couldn't show up and provide and give me exactly what I needed as a child, like that woman's never gave up on me. Right. You know, like she I know she has always been there. Right. If she I saw. just call or even just write a letter to the federal prison mm. when she was in prison, right? Like she would always be there. But our relationship is not what people think a mother-daughter relationship is supposed to be, right? And so I seek out that nurturing and stuff from other people. I have other women in my life that can give me that. And I get other things from my mom, you know. But the most important thing I get is that I get to see in her a map of what I need to change in me so that I don't pass it on to my kids. Right. And that's so great because, you know, I see a lot of people that, you know, oh, like, you know, even I felt like this, like, I don't want to be like my parents, you know. Like, I don't want to end up like them, you know? And then I've seen myself starting to do the same <laughs> characteristic traits, you know? Yeah. You know, but it's great that you're diving in on even, like, a different level and taking the extra step to actually, like, apply it, you know? And that's a beautiful thing, and that comes a lot of healing with that, you know? Yeah, it's a lot of healing, you know? And I see my I see my wound, you know? It comes up that, that, that little inner child, she starts throwing a fit, a lot, you know, and it comes up in every relationship that I get close to someone, it turns, the dynamic can be, it'll be like me and my mom. Like, I really believe that like my relationship with that partner that was so impactful for me when I relapsed, that was like, that dynamic, it was just like me and my mom, like that same me trying to get you to love me, me doing whatever it takes, like even if it meant relapsing and using to try to get you to stay and love me. And and deeper than that is like, you know, like underneath that, like why do I need, like why do I need that, you know? And like I know where it goes back to in the exact moments even that I felt that way the first time. And so to heal it, it's like, it's painful, man, like going through that process and, um, there's been so many different parts of it. I could do a whole show on just the healing of that thing, you know, and it'll be my forever journey to heal, heal the wounds of my mother, my grandmothers, my, my grandfathers, my whole line 
of like my genetics coming down. We pass down the trauma in our energy. And, and even now they know like in our DNA, it changes people's DNA. So I am the one that's breaking the cycle and healing that. And I'm going to do that by first like healing myself and then having a child and being the mother that I didn't have without like making it, you know, letting my child have its experience. I don't want to be like so far the opposite and like overdo it because that seems like it would be easy to do as well. But yeah, it's beautiful. And, And nothing, none of it is possible without me feeling connected, you know, connected to to everything Mm -hmm. if I'm not here in this moment connecting with you if my head's going off thinking about something else you know I have to reel it back in like I have to be here in the now in the moment yeah and I found that it's super hard for me to do because and that's one of my biggest things because my you know my spirituality like ebbs and flows you know I go through times where I'm you know, I feel more spiritual and I'm more connecting and I am connecting into my higher power. And then there's sometimes I'm not. And that's when I'm just like, I am so far off thinking about my future and trying to manipulate it to the way that, you know, I think it should be. And that what I've made it up into my head that I lose all sight of what's happening right now, you know, and that ends up, you know, causing relationship problems with people, you know, and it caused me to be less involved just in a relationship or you know i stop doing things that i normally would do you know and you know and it becomes very stale you know and i can and it and it's weird because i have the awareness that it is going on you know but it is hard to like pull back out of that you know and start to process over again you know and um i've even been struggling with the past couple days you know where i just keep i keep reconnecting with my higher power and then going back on it and then reconnecting going back on it you know and it is for something for me that that just is a constant constant thing that i have to work on you know and the results are undeniable for me yeah and i think like where you're at is totally normal for where you're at in recovery and like the amount of time and stuff like right. i think and like the, what's going on in our life and like what we're doing like i think it's normal to have that tug and pull mm. feeling you know and i have that too and and it's it's just it's just the light and the dark man like we have to have that tug and pull or that withdrawal to know how the good the connection is right. i think people that feel connected 24 7 are like enlightened <laughs> or something yeah. you know like like yeah. they're on another another level yeah. and like, the goal is to keep working at it and and i know there's basic tools we can use right like if i wake up every day and i read something spiritual and i pray or i meditate or even maybe if you're not you know you're not someone that's wants to pray or meditate maybe you wake up every day and you exercise at the same time every day like whatever it is that like gets you in the right mindset if we do that daily you know we'll maintain the connection more but it's like we always fall short you know we always fall short as as humans but I would love to know like how like a priest point of view, like someone that is constantly practicing, you know, their religion or their higher power. Like, do they have this similar experience of feeling more connected and not connected to? Probably, you know, and I think we'll find out more like once we have someone on that is Christian or Catholic and get to hear their experience. And I think like, you know, I think people that are very religious they probably really trust and turn their life over to god and they really believe that he will you know 
whatever. Right. Um, but it's hard to get not get caught up in the like, like praying for what we want and praying mm. f- like asking God to do things that God isn't going to do. Like, like you can't ask God to just like not let your house get hit by a tornado. Like you can, but like the reality is, is that like if God made everything on this planet and God made the weather, like tornadoes will happen regardless. And, um, it's interesting to me, you know, because I don't believe in that type of God. So it's hard for me to just like envision like a, a guy like God, you know, Jesus pushing the tornado away, giving my life all to Jesus and then turning my life over to God and knowing that God has a plan for me. Like that sounds great. But then when I start thinking about it, I get, I start to think like, well, I really don't believe that there's like a plan laid out for me and that how good or bad I do or if I follow a certain set of rules is like how likely I am to like get to go to heaven like I think that God is love Mm. pure love like religion kind of muffled like gets it all muffled up right Yeah. but like God is pure love Jesus was just love he just wanted to love and he loved the poor and he loved the different people and so all this hate that goes around against you know people that are different it's like God it's like they're like God would not like they think like that's wrong you're gonna go to hell but really like god made everything he made every mindset he made every every molecule all of the energy it was made by the same creation whatever it was and i and i really really think like if you read deepak's book how to know god or whatever to know god it's either to know god or how to know god sorry it, it explains stuff a lot better, but um, I think that having a religion and a deity like Jesus and following the rules and commandments in the Bible is very good. I do. I really think that that makes people have a good life and right, they feel connected. They have good principles. They get to connect to the universe through Jesus and through the God they believe in. And I'm 100% down for that. I'm also 100% down for the person that doesn't believe in God at all. Mm. I don't think you need to. Shit's still vibrating. The strings are still connected to me. It's like you're still, even right. if we need the atheist, just as much as we need some extreme Christian cult, like all of it is on this spectrum and it's all these different pathways to the same light, you know, and we, who are we to decide that other people have to believe a certain way? None of us should, should be deciding how each other believe. It's an individual experience. Yeah, exactly. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And for me, like, I remember going to, because this this brings up what you were talking about earlier with, like, the rock church and them playing the music. Like, when I was going to it, you know, I I really didn't hear what the priest was saying or anything. But a lot of times I just honed in on, like, the communic energy that was going on in that room. And that's really what I noticed. Like, I feel good. Like, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, you know? And the vibe. The vibe was going, you know? They were fucking Yeah, it's out. the vibe, dude. And we can catch the vibe. Like, I get the vibe when we go to a concert. Like, yeah. when I go to a show, I'm at church. Yeah. Like, that is my church. I am, I am never more happier than when I am at a show and they're playing a song, one of my favorite songs by the band. In that moment, I am literally so like that's the best and and i feel that same way in in certain places in nature like when we went on our honeymoon and saw the big ass sequoias and then we went to the redwoods like those those trees affect me dude they do remember that big big tree that was hugging 
watching. Yes, yeah. we were hugging trees. So, anyways, I don't know. I hope you guys got something out of this episode. And that was just a, a little bit more of my story. If you've heard me on the LFG podcast, shout out to the LFG boys for having me on their yeah, podcast. Go. That was really fun. And and so if you ever want to hear an episode that has more of like my actual story from beginning to to now, um, it's the LFG podcast yeah well thanks for having me on it was good to get to know my wife <laughs> yeah i mean it's good i like yeah, i like you know I, I've, I've told you this, i've heard your story a thousand times you know and just every time it, you're just so authentic of a person that's like one of the main reasons i love you you know oh. like shit does not change with this woman right here like you know um and I love hearing your perspective. And like a lot of times we don't get to have the chance to have these conversations. Like, well, you know, we've talked a lot of those things we've talked on like, like a, s- a small conversation, but you know, just like with everyday life, we don't get to break it down and like sit down and have a conversation like this, you know, yeah. and get thinking about it, you know? And even for me, cause I get shut off from the, from my spirituality pretty easily just with the, the grind of everyday life, you know? Yeah. And I forget, you know, I forget that I, think like this and that like this energy is inside me you know yeah it definitely is yeah yeah so um i i want to keep doing the the favorite book thing and and then also a book suggestion so i already mentioned these books but a book i think everyone should read is to know god by deepak chopra Mm. it's a great book or you can listen to it on youtube and then also I'm, the book I'm reading now, The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate, excellent book if you have trauma or if you have chronic illness, like a chronic, uh, like an autoimmune disease or something, this book is really good. And it talks about how trauma creates these diseases and stuff. It, he's amazing. Um, if you have any questions, just let me know. Thank you guys so much for listening. Okay, bye. Peace. <laughs>